0: Numbers chapter 30, let's, uh, if you're able to, let's stand and read that together, uh, in honor, stand in honor of God as we read his word together, if you're able. Verse 1, Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the people of Israel, saying, this is what the Lord has commanded. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. If a woman vows a vow to the Lord and binds herself by a pledge while within her father's house in her youth, and her father hears of her vow and of her pledge by which she has bound herself and says nothing to her, then all her vows shall stand, and every pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father opposes her on the day that he hears of it, no vow of hers, no pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand, and the Lord will forgive her because her father opposed her. If she marries a husband while under her vows or any thoughtless utterance of her lips by which she has bound herself, and her husband hears of it and says nothing to her on the day that he hears, then her vows shall stand, and her pledges by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if on the day that her husband comes to hear of it he opposes her, then he makes void her vow that was on her and the thoughtless utterance of her lips by which she has bound herself, and the Lord will forgive her. But any vow of a widow or of a divorced woman, anything by which she has bound herself, shall stand against her. And if she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by a pledge with an oath, and her husband heard of it and said nothing to her and did not oppose her, then all her vows shall stand, and every pledge by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband makes them null and void on the day that he hears them, then whatever proceeds out of his lips "'concerning her vows or concerning her pledge of herself "'shall not stand. "'Her husband has made them void, "'and the Lord will forgive her. "'Any vow and any binding oath to afflict herself, "'her husband may establish or her husband may make void. "'But if her husband says nothing to her from day to day, "'then he establishes all her vows "'or all her pledges that are upon her. "'He has established them because he said nothing to her "'on the day that he heard of them. "'But if he makes them null and void "'after he has heard of them, "'then he shall bear her iniquity.'" These are the statutes that the Lord commanded Moses about a man and his wife and about a father and his daughter while she is in her youth within her father's house. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. And Father, we love you. We want to emulate you in, in all things you've called us to. Help us to, to love you and to be faithful in the roles you've called us to. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. There is a study published recently in Psychological Science. It was entitled something like, As You Sow, So Shall You Reap. Gender, Role, View, and uh, Long-Term Memory Loss, or something like that. Uh, Basically, the the gist of the study was this. What they found, these, these researchers found, is that women who are older compared with men who are older have better memories. They, they, they do better on memory tests than, than older men. But what they also found was that men, excuse me, what they also found is that women who were in countries that um, had opportunities to uh, pursue education and to pursue employment, uh, they, they scored consistently better. And women in in different countries who didn't have those opportunities uh, for intellectual development, they did not score as well. And the researchers, as as they looked at this this study, they kind of came to the conclusion that being in a a culture in which uh, a woman is encouraged to pursue intellectual development and have opportunities to do so, in that culture, long term, on average, a woman is going to, to do better intellectually and even as she as she ages she's going to do better than men who age now a lot of interesting reactions to this study right one woman as she read this study she wrote an article in which she really kind of kind of blasted several things she really attacked the pro life movement she argued that the pro life movement prevented women from being able to pursue education and to enter in the workforce Uh, She also, in the article, kind of attacked the stay-at-home mom culture. Uh, She argued that that prevented women from fulfilling themselves intellectually, and she also, uh, interestingly, but perhaps predictably, she also attacked those who would view uh, marriage and, and say that there are different roles for men and women within a marriage or within a family based on their gender. So she would argue that if you believe that men and women have different roles to play within a marriage or within a family based upon, their gender, upon your gender alone, if, if you believe that, that's a, a harmful thing to women. In fact, she said that this, this study should help us to uh, smash the, the patriarchy, to, to smash patriarchal views, which, which gives me pause, right? Because this morning I am going to be arguing— that I believe Scripture encourages us to, within our marriages, have different roles for men and women based upon our gender. And it gives me pause because, first of all, I understand this reality, even though I disagree with this author in some very significant ways, I believe that she is right in that oftentimes in different cultures, in different church settings, within different family structures, the things that I'm saying this morning have been construed in such a way as to harm women. And I certainly do not want to say things this morning in such a way that they could be misconstrued and women in our church or women who hear what I'm saying here or men who hear what I'm saying here could could use what I'm saying here this morning to, to harm women, to, to place them in situations in which they would not be the people that God has called them to be in which we would not be encouraging them to be the women that God has called them to be. And then I'm also cautious this morning because even if I say things as uh, winsome and as biblically as I always do, um, even, even, if I, even if I do that, I understand that some of what I'm saying this morning is, is simply controversial, that even uh, people not just outside the church but people within the church People within our church are going to dis- disagree with uh, some of the things I say this morning, and if you don't believe that, you should have hung out with me after first service, uh, because uh, th- some of the things I'm saying this morning, uh, people I love disagree with, okay? So I want to be careful. But I do think that I need to share these things, because I believe that what we encounter here in Numbers 30 is, is an application of the idea of 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 roles for for men and women within a a marriage relationship within a family structure and that these truths presented here applied here for this culture these truths help paint a picture of, of the gospel and they help us understand some things not just about marriage but they they help us understand some things about God himself. In other words, you don't have to be a person who's married this morning, you don't have to be a person who's a parent this morning to encounter these truths and say, "Okay, these truths help me understand something about the nature of God and about the beauty of the gospel and about the nature of my relationship to God." There are some truths here that help us understand these things. Now, Kind of buckle up here a little bit because this this introduction is going to be a little bit long. Eric, you can take a nap for a little bit here and and just get ready to press later. Um, We're going to spend some time talking a little bit about what's happening here in Numbers 30. What's going on here? Remember, we're in the first five books of the Bible. We're in the Pentateuch. And in these first five books of the Bible, you encounter the law very frequently. And remember what we said the law is. The law in the Pentateuch is the application for the Israelites of God's eternal law. So there are some things about God and about his character and about how he wants people to to behave and what he wants them to believe. There are some things that, that are true about God for all eternity. But God takes those truths about Himself and about us, and He applies them in different ways in different cultures, and, and the application is based upon this, this unchanging law of God. And so, sometimes in different cultures, how those truths are applied change. They're, they're they're different based upon who these laws are written to. So we don't we don't sacrifice animals the same way that we don't at all. Don't, don't sacrifice, we don't sacrifice animals as the Israelites did, and yet. That, that sacrifice was based upon a universal truth that we're sinners, we need a Savior, sacrifice is pointed to Jesus, we have Jesus. Now, sometimes, sometimes these laws in the Old Testament are presented just, thou shalt not, or thou shalt do this. Just, this is what you do. But sometimes in the Old Testament, in these first five books of the Bible, what we see is, is God giving examples. So he says, okay, here's an example of what you do in this situation, and here's an example in this situation, and here's an example in this situation. And he gives these, these case laws to help the people understand the bigger principle. And he gives them some, some examples to help them understand the, big, the, the bigger principle. And we do this all the time. So, for example, uh, whenever my kids were younger, I might say to my daughter, hey, look, if, if your brother bites you. Don't bite him back. If your brother uh, pulls your hair, don't pull his hair. If your brother punches you, don't punch him back. And then she might come to me the next day and say, dad, uh, my brother kicked me. And I kicked him to good because you didn't say anything about not kicking him. Now, hold on. That's okay. I gave you those examples to help you understand the bigger principle of being nice to your brother. And in the Pentateuch, there was no way that every situation could possibly be addressed. And so oftentimes Moses would give the people, hey, here's some examples of the laws that God has given us, and and these principles will help you apply the big principle in other areas. Now, in Numbers 30, we're we're dealing with the responsibility of, of a husband or of a father with relationship to his his wife or daughter. And some people would say, okay, this idea that a husband or a father has a special role to play based on being a husband or father is is for that culture. The controversial thing that I'm saying this morning is that it's it's not just based upon that culture. That throughout scripture we see men and women having distinct roles to play within a family structure based upon being men and women so for example paul in 1st corinthians 11 says i want you to understand that the head of every man is christ the head of a woman is her husband, the head of Christ is God. In other words, what we see here is this, this picture of, of a family relationship in which a, a husband practices headship. It's not just based upon uh, that that one culture, it's based upon creation. And not only is it based upon creation, it's based upon something that happens within the Trinity itself, within God the Son being eternally uh, in submission to God the Father, there's something about that relationship that our our family relationships are able to point to. The controversial thing that i'm saying is that headship is not just a cultural application of a truth but is a truth grounded in creation and within the Godhead itself that men and women have different god given roles within the family within the church, and that that men here what we're, we're looking at have a a god given responsibility, a call to sacrificially lead and and provide and care for their wives, and as they do so, as they do so, they're providing a picture of Christ's love for his church, of Christ's relationship to God the Father. There is a gospel-centered, God-exalting reason behind how we're to function within the family. And if the roles that you play within your family aren't based upon a desire to exalt God and to proclaim truths about who he is, there's a significant problem. So, Numbers 30. Again, we're, long introduction here. Hope that the seatbelts are still buckled. Let's, let's talk about Numbers 30. Look, look at the text with me, if, if you would. What's happened here? In Numbers 30, the people understand some truths. They understand that that men and women both have the opportunity to make vows before God. So, for example, in Numbers 6, we see that uh, both men and women can take Nazarite vows. They both have the opportunity to take these special vows to, to promise to do certain things in relationship to God. We see that both men and women have, have a standing before God. They're his covenant people. We see, we're going to talk about this more in a couple weeks with Zelophehad's daughters, and these daughters, are, they aren't married, and yet we see it like they have full participation, and they're, they're fully part of the, the covenant people of God. And so there's, there's that truth. There's also a truth that the people know, and they, they understand that people who make vows have the responsibility to fulfill them. So, for example, Deuteronomy 23 says, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you you should not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you. And so the people understand that men and women have the opportunity to make vows, to to make special restrictions upon themselves and how they worship God, and both men and women have the responsibility to fulfill those vows, but they also understand that men and women have different roles to play within a marriage. And if a Woman makes a vow that affects the family structure, what does that mean with her, t- her responsibility to her husband? And so here in Numbers 30, there are four cases that are presented that help us understand some things about how to apply headship in this culture. And so we're going to look at these, these four situations, and then we're going to get into to applying it in our culture and, and uh, think, thinking through what we do with this. So again... Look at, these, look at these four women. First of all, he talks about men and vows in verses 1 and 2, and they, they have the responsibility to fulfill their vows. And then he, then he presents four different women, four different cases and situations that women might find themselves in or a family might find itself in. Situation number one is a, a young woman, so maybe a, a, a teenager, young teenager, she lives in her father's house, and it says if the if woman vows a vow, and to vow a vow in, in this context means to say that she's going to do something. So, for example, uh, Jacob in Genesis, I think it's 28, he, he promises, God, if, if you do this, I'm going to give you a tenth of all that I have. That's, that's vowing a vow. It's, it's I'm going to do this thing. So if he vows a vow, or, sorry, if she vows a vow, or it says binds herself by a pledge, and a, a pledge here means to, to not do something. So I'm, I'm not going to eat, or I'm not going to uh, cut my hair, or I'm not going to uh, uh, do something. So she's, she either promises to do something or promises not to do something. It says she, she binds herself. In other words, she is restricting what she is allowed to do voluntarily for the purpose of worshiping God. And she's a young woman, and she lives in her father's house. Given that case, what happens? Well, Moses tells us: option one, her father hears about it, and he hears what she's vowed to do or what she's pledged to do, and he doesn't do anything. He he says nothing. He says, "Okay, you know what? Not going to say anything. Then it stands." But option two here in this first case, if her father. Opposes her. You know, he hears about what she's said. She's going to do. She says, "You know what? I'm not going to eat to uh, to eat for this period of time." He says, "No, what? I, I don't think that's a wise thing to do. I, I'm 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 against that." And so it says here that the pledge by which she was bound herself it it um it doesn't stand. He breaks it. Lord, forgives. A second scenario is a little bit. Of, of a different situation. Here, a woman has also made a vow, and kind of the picture here is probably of a, of a young woman as well, and she promises to do something, or she pledges not to do something, and she's in her father's house when she pledges to do that, and then she gets married, and her husband hears about this vow that she made. You know, I I've, I've vowed that I'm always going to give 90% of everything that I have to the Lord. And the, the husband's like, oh, hey, let's, let's talk about this, all right? The day that he hears about it, he, he opposes it. He says, yeah, I, 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 let's, let's, let's talk through this. I, I'm, I don't think that's a, a wise idea. So option one, actually it's option one if he says nothing, but then option two if he, he opposes it. And it says in verse eight, it, he makes it he makes it void. That, that word there means to, to smash, to destroy. It, it no longer stands. A third scenario, verse 9, third scenario is, is a widow. She's a person who is a, a widow or person who is divorced. And this person, this, this woman says, this is what I'm going to do. Now, in this situation, she has uh, no other family structure that's, that's affected by this thing. And so whatever she says, it, it stands she has a, a standing before God that doesn't influence other people, and so whatever she says she's going to do, she needs to do. And then the last scenario is a, a woman who is married, and while she is married, so it's not something she said before she was married, it's after she gets married, she's in her husband's house, and she also binds herself with a pledge or uh, makes a vow. Her husband hears of it. He says, option one, he says, nothing, then it stands Option two, he says, boy, you know, when he hears about it, he says, I think I need to kind of, I think we need to talk about this, and I don't think it's a good idea. It says he opposes it, and in that circumstance, the vow doesn't stand. And then in verse 13, 14, 15, it kind of gives us the big principles. So a husband has a unique responsibility here, and the bottom line is he has the ability to say, yeah, this, this, this vow stands, and he can do that by, by affirming it verbally or just by doing nothing. He also has the ability to say, look, on, on, if, if, if he catches it right away, he says, okay, uh, this, this, this doesn't work, we, we can't do this, then the vow is broken. What he cannot do is just allow time to pass, and at some point in the future say, you know what, you know how you said you're going to do that? Ah, eh, let's not do that anymore. If he does that, we see in verse 15, then he bears the iniquity. He has the responsibility to, to be, be culpable for that. And then verse 16 kind of tells us what the whole chapter is about. It says, these are the statutes that the Lord commanded Moses about a man and his wa- wife and about a father and her, his daughter while she's in her youth in her father's house. Now, What we're seeing, I think, in Numbers 30, again, is an application for this culture of a truth that is grounded in creation, that's grounded in the Trinity, that there are unique roles that husbands and wives are to play in a family relationship. And I understand that's a controversial thing to say. But think about what Paul says in Ephesians 5. He says, look, as he talks about the different roles that a husband and wife plays, he says, therefore, verse... 31 he, he goes back and ties it to creation first he says he's he's quoting genesis he says therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so there is this, this new relationship that happens when a, a husband and wife come together and are married. And he says this mystery, that the mystery of marriage is profound. And I am saying that it, that's, that's the marriage relationship and all the things he's been saying in chapter 5 about the nature of the marriage relationship and the responsibilities that the husband has and the responsibilities that the wife has. He says, I'm saying that it, this, this marriage relationship, Refers to Christ and the church. Let each one of you see that you love his wife as himself, and the wife respects her husband. The purpose of male headship in both the Old and New Testament is to exalt Christ. It's to exalt Christ. It's to provide a picture to the world, to the church, to ourselves of how Christ loves his church, and of how Christ relates to the Father. That's the purpose. And that's why I believe that there are still to be roles that the husband and wife play within the marriage relationship that a father plays in a family relationship, that a mother plays within a family relationship to help point ourselves, our children, the church to Christ, the world to Christ. So let's talk about how to apply this uh, in our culture. Um, Eric, you can wake up now. Thank you for being, that's a good long intro there. Uh, Here's the first thing. We'll we'll talk quickly here about some of these things. First of all, let's just talk about what Christ's exalting headship is. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. The bottom line is our culture has often misunderstood what Christ's exalting headship is, right? The church has often misunderstood what Christ's exalting headship is. We've uh, twisted it into being some sort of um, oppressive, authoritarian relationship between a husband and wife or between a, a father and his children, and that is, that is not the biblical picture. In fact, um, so many people have been harmed by this family structure, and there are just some very twisted things that are even going on in the church today in the, in the North American culture. I was reading an article by a young woman who was was kind of in this, this movement, and she talked about herself belonging to her father. You know, I, I belong to him. That, that language that she used and the types of decisions that he was making for her, to me, felt very inappropriate. There was a, a woman who, uh, who came up to me uh, in between services this morning, and, and, she, and she, was, uh, she was in tears, and she, and, she, and she said, for years I was in a church where I felt guilty because my husband was so nice to me. She felt like maybe they were in sin because she looked at the marriages around her and she saw how, how harsh the husbands were with their wives and she felt guilty because she had a nice husband. That's sick, right? There's some twisted things that happen within the context of, and they call it biblical headship. It's, it's not. But it's also not, not nothing, Right? You know, I am, I'm 40 years old. I called my dad recently and I, I told him, I said, hey dad, uh, you know, we were making some plans. There's a, a family uh, memorial service that, that we're trying to plan. I said, yeah, so it's on Saturday afternoon. I'm going to go and I'm going to go to the service and after the service I'm going to leave and head back so I'm going to be back, back for church. And uh, my dad said, uh, no, you can't do that. That's a terrible idea. And I wanted to say, I'll do whatever I want. I'm 40 years old. If I want to get in a car and drive at midnight, I'll do it. Right? I don't have a curfew. You know? I did not say that. I paused for a second. Like, well, this is my dad. You know, God has given me this, this guy in my life, and I'm going to listen to this guy. I said, well, Dad, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> That's what I said. and I did. Uh, I said, "Well, uh, let me let me talk through some plans with you, and, and I under, let me see if I understand your concern. You're concerned about me driving late. Let me share with you some ideas I have. It's, maybe it's not as far as you think it is. And what do you what do you think about this? I, you know, I just I didn't want to just blatantly oppose my dad. There's there's something too about God providing this man in my life that I need to be careful about, right? Christ's exalting headship isn't some authoritarian, uh, harsh." Um, overstepping of, of boundaries uh, relationship. You relationship. Know, and I believe that many Christians have overemphasized the extent, the sphere, the purpose of a husband or father's influence. The relationship between a, a parent and child, though, is, is uh, one in which a, a, there, there are unique things that God calls parents to. We'll, we'll talk more about this here as, as we go on. In fact, let's, let's just go on. I'm gonna move on so I can talk about some more things in more depth. Let's talk about what Christ's exalting headship is. And there are there are six words that I, I want us to, to think about this morning as we think about Christ's exalting headship. The first is is this Christ's exalting headship is purposeful. As we think about Christ's exalting headship, there is a there is a reason for it. Uh, the purpose of this, this headship is not for a, a husband to exert his will. It's not for a Uh, a wife to exert her influence over the children. It's not to have some sort of um, harsh relationship. The, The purpose here is to exalt Christ. And as a couple, or as a father or as a mother enter into their relationship with one another or with their children and say, you know what? My purpose here, my ultimate purpose here is that Christ would be exalted in this relationship. My purpose here is not to exalt myself, my purpose here is not to exert my will or influence on another person. My purpose here is that Christ would be exalted, and that people would look at my marriage, they'd look at my family, they'd look at me, my singleness, whatever it is, where it is that God has placed me, and my, my purpose is that Christ would be exalted. Here, here's the second word that I think we need to think about. Christ-exalting headship is limited. It's limited. What happens here in Numbers 30? The husband hears about the vow that his wife has made that she made in the house or before they got married a dad hears about what his daughter has has expressed there's not some unlimited period of time where a, a dad can just come along and say you know what you know i heard about that and i've changed my mind you can't do it anymore the the ability that a husband has to influence and to to to, to speak into his wife's life or his daughter's life it's it's limited and a husband who is practicing biblical headship, Christ exalting headship, realizes that. They say, you know what, my, my sphere in which God has given me responsibility to speak into my daughter's life or my wife's life or my son's life, it's, it's limited. It's limited. A third word here, though, is it's, it's careful. Christ exalting headship is careful. It's interesting here that the default assumption is that the, the dad isn't going to say anything. The husband isn't going to say anything. He's going to say, you know what, that's between my wife and the Lord, that's between my daughter and the Lord. I, you know what, I, I'm not going to speak into that. I'm going to be careful here. You know, There are a lot of reasons that, that a husband or a, a father, a parent should be careful, Right? I mean, first of all, I'm, I'm careful with my daughters, with my sons, with, with my wife, with people that I work with, just because I want to treat other people the way that I'd want to be treated in their, in their circumstances. And I would, I would, when I was a kid, I, I didn't always enjoy my, my parents speaking into my life. Now, I needed it most of the time, but there were perhaps, got to be careful because my dad may be listening to this later, uh, there were perhaps some times, and he'd probably agree, where maybe he spoke in some areas that it was, it was a little much. I remember what that was like. I remember uh, working with people and sometimes having bosses who were unreasonable in their demands. I, you know, I, I know what that's like and so I want to be careful. I also want to be careful because I, I respect the people that God has given me in my life to influence. I respect my wife. I respect my daughters as co heirs with Christ. My wife is an incredibly capable person. And if, if I <clears throat> step into areas, <clears throat> excuse me, and if I step into areas where I shouldn't, I'm going to look foolish, right? And so I want to be careful there. I also want to be, be careful because I'm, I'm a little fearful. As I think about my, my daughters and growing up and our oldest daughter is now entering the stage where she's thinking about what her future looks like and the potential of college and, and making different choices about if she goes to college, which college she would go to and what uh, things she would study there, and yet also thinking about the potential of a future with a family. You know what, um, I, I'm going to give some input, but I'm going to be careful because I don't want to mess up her life. And I do not have God's uh, unlimited knowledge on all the different potential futures that that she, that she could experience. And if something gets messed up in her life, I'd much rather it was her fault, and I could say, hey, here, let me help you fix it, than, yeah, sorry, I led you down the wrong, wrong road there. Not that I wouldn't give her good advice if I thought she was going to make a, a terrible mistake, of course, but be careful. And then, you know why else? I also want, I want, want to be careful? Because I trust God with my wife, and I trust God with my daughters, and I trust God with my sons. And so I'm going to be careful. I'm going to be careful, right? Christ-like, Christ-exalting headship is also It's also protective. It's also protective. The husband here is motivated by a desire to, to, to protect his wife, to, to be a safeguard, to say, okay, what's going to be best for her, and I want to help her achieve that. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here about what's happening in Numbers 30. I'm not saying this. I'm not saying, well, you know, you know women, they're going to say stuff sometimes, and thank goodness there's a man there to say, hey, hey, you shouldn't say those crazy things. That is not what I'm saying. Because you know what? As you look at Scripture, men say a lot of stupid things. I mean the word stupid theologically there. They make many rash vows. In fact, it's very interesting. In Leviticus, and and this, this this is so important for us to understand. In Leviticus 5, there is a provision for men who say foolish things. If a man makes a rash oath, and he realizes his guilt, it says in Leviticus 5, he, he, he confesses, that he needs to confess the sins he's committed, and he brings to the Lord his compensation and offering, and it says, the priest shall make atonement for him and his sin. In other words, it's not just women who are going to say things, men are going to say things too, and a, they need a priest who's going to intercede for them. And so what's happening here? A husband is functioning as an image of a, of, a, of a priest, of an intercessor. Who? What is he doing? He is serving as a picture of Christ for his, husband, for his wife, for his family, for the world. Say, Look, I'm, I'm going to be like Christ here. I'm going I'm to intercede for, for your safety, for your care, for your protection. Not because I don't also need protection, but because that's what our marriage is designed to proclaim. Brothers and sisters, um, we protect as men, not like a boss. We're not the boss of our wife, we're not like an employer we're not like the, the daddy of a toddler with our daughters unless our daughters are toddlers obviously but we do so as allies as people who say i'm going to do all that i can to make sure that you are provided and cared for for the glory of god and let me say something here that just it it, uh, it shook some feathers first service. I'm going to say it again because I think some feathers need to be sh- uh, shaken in this area. Um, it's confusing to me that as I read articles about politics, that, that evangelicals, evangelical Christians, those who should be most fervent in protection of women, that they are those voices that are the, the, their most fervent supporters of of a president who has said terrible things about women and treated women terribly. That's strange to me. It's strange to me that evangelical voices are often the the biggest supporters of, of sports figures who treat women terribly and do terribly demeaning things to women. That's perplexing to me. It's perplexing to me that evangelicals are the biggest supporters of Men in churches who have done terrible things to the women that God has called them to care for and protect, that's perplexing, confusing, and wrong to me. Someone came up to me after second service or first service and said, well, hold on, are you, are, why are you demonizing Trump? And I said, I didn't say Trump. Um, you know, why, why are you demonizing the president? Why pick on him? You know, all politicians and so, so You're right. But here's the deal, evangelicals, there's there's a bar of acceptability in my mind in terms of how you're going to to treat people and how you're going to treat women. And as evangelicals, I I think we need to say this, our current president has not reached that bar in that area, and we cannot support that. We're opposed to it. And a person who treats the a woman that he has made a vow to to care and cherish and protect a man who treats that vow so so uh with with such garbage is, is going to be a man that is going to turn on us as well unless he repents And the same is true for religious figures for political figures for sports figures we must we must be voices of protection it seems quaint you know uh Seems old-fashioned, but I truly believe that I am one of the means that God has provided for my daughters, for my wife, to to protect them, and it, it affects how I treat them versus how I treat my boys. I, I tell my I tell my uh, daughters, I say, you know what, uh, girls, whatever happens to you in your life, you need to know that. As much as is possible for me, I am going to care for you. If you get yourself into a situation in which you need care, I am going to be there for you as much as God gives me the strength to do so. And what I tell my boys is, boys, you better work harder, you're going to starve to death. (laughs) Now, why why different things? Because I believe God's called them to different roles in in a family relationship. And uh, it's different. I want my children to experience in my marriage, in our family, in their future marriages, if that's what God calls them to, I want them to experience, as they look at other marriages, as they're part of a church, I want them to, to see the, the picture of Christ caring and providing for his church. Two more words, uh, selfless and weighty, right? Selfless and weighty. There is a weight to this type of leadership, to this type of headship, and there, it's, it's driven by selflessness, Last thing here, practical suggestions for men and women. I'm going to go through these quickly, and you may not be able to write them all down. I'll, I'll put them on, uh, email them out or, or something like that where you can have access to them. But here's some practical suggestions. Number one, uh, men, your speech and your conduct to women must reveal your esteem for them as partners in the gospel. Oftentimes I hear men say, well, you know what, Uh, you know, I was joking around and, you know, they didn't, my wife didn't take it very well or this this woman I work with didn't uh, get the joke, you know, and you know what, guys, your speech and your conduct to women must reveal your esteem for them as partners in the gospel. And if the women in your life, if the women in your life don't believe that you are communicating to them in a way in which you're communicating esteem, then you're not doing it. Paul's words in Ephesians are strong. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Harmful sarcasm, belittling speech, telling jokes that demean women or make them look foolish, all those things, men, should be put away from us. The women in our lives should not hear us in our speech or conduct demeaning them. Number two, men, your job is to care for, or not coerce, your wives or your daughters or the other women in your life. Care here means to, to provide the, the best life for them, to develop them and encourage them intellectually, spiritually, physically. And if the women in our lives are not growing in these areas, men, the responsibility may very well lie with us. Our job is not to coerce women and say, hey, you know what? The Bible says to submit. No, that's not our job. Right? It's not to coerce women to, to submitting to our will. That's absolutely not biblical headship. Our job is to care. Say, look, how can I come alongside and make my, my wife, my daughters, all that God has intended them to be? The study we mentioned at the beginning where, where women who are in supportive environments are able to surpass men later in life in terms of their, their cognitive abilities. That should be true in our families or in our, in our church, where we've cared for women well enough that they have the ability to develop into all that God desires them to be. Number three, men, your time. Your time is usually better spent looking for ways to serve your family than for ways to improve them. Oftentimes, okay, there's the eight things that are wrong with my kids, eight things wrong with my wife. I need to fix this and fix this. You know what? Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, our time is better spent looking for ways to care for people than to improve them. Related to that, number four, men, your time is always better spent pursuing holiness than demanding respect. Men, your time is always better spent pursuing holiness than demanding respect. A husband who, or a father who's going around saying, you must respect me, I'm the dad, I'm the father. Look, you're, you've lost already, right? Our goal as husbands, our goal as, as men, our goal as, as all believers really is to say, look, how can I be pursuing holiness, growing in, in grace? Women, number five, your joy is ultimately found in Christ and not the culture, even your family, your friends. Ultimately, your joy is going to be found in Christ. That's a hard thing for all of us to grasp. And then number six, women women and men, but women, help the men in your life show a picture of Christ and his church to a hurting, exploited world. Women, help the men in your life to show a picture of Christ in his church, the beauty of this relationship to a hurting and exploited world. Brothers and sisters, we are at a unique moment in history, right? We are at a unique moment in history. The family is broken like never before. And if I sound like a dinosaur this morning, arguing for, I mean, I, I sound like a dinosaur just arguing for uh, marriage being between a man and a woman, much less that man and woman having certain gender roles. I mean, what's, what's more extinct than a dinosaur? That's what I stand here this morning as to you. But here, here's the cool thing. As people pursue a different view of marriage, a different view of family, a different view of the church, it's, it's not going to work. We already see that, right? It's not going to bring joy. And we have the opportunity as we place our faith in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation and, and show that gospel in our lives. We have the opportunity in our church, in our homes, in the way that we respond to, to husbands and wives who are not always as, all that God has called them to be. We have the opportunity to proclaim the gospel in our family structures. And wives, I could I could hear what you're saying. You're saying, look, Daniel. I know that Christ submits eternally to to God the Father, but me and my husband is not God, and I hear you, you know. My wife hears you, right? Here's the beauty. By By the grace of the gospel, we can pursue relationships with one another that display the power of the gospel lived out in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of your son Jesus We thank you that we have the opportunity to exalt your son Jesus and provide a picture of the relationship between Jesus and his people. Help us in our relationships to do that. We pray this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen.